Chapter Five, Part Two of The Life of Clara Barton, Volume Two by William Barton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five, Part Two The Years of Sickness and Recovery. Our home on the hillside, Dansville, Livingston County, New York, July fifteenth, eighteen seventy six. Dear Cuz, if Miss Cupfer had not written me that she had written to you since our departure, I should have written earlier, but I knew she had told you of our safe arrival, and I thought I had then nothing of interest to say until I could tell you how I liked my surroundings. I have now been here seven weeks and find no occasion to regret coming. The place is simply beautiful in its location and surroundings, made up of hills and valleys under a high state of cultivation and taste. The institution is larger and more flourishing than I had expected, with about 300 patients, or persons as patients and I think I never saw together any group of people that combines the degrees of intellect, general intelligence, and culture as is collected here. The speech of every person one meets is kind, charitable, and refined. The faculty connected with the institution is, I should judge, skillful and competent, but the general means for promoting health through proper food water bathing dress rest sunshine open air and pleasant surroundings are mainly relied upon little or no medicines are ever used i have neither seen nor heard of any being used by any person since i have been here Indeed, the great struggle and effort seems to be to get out of the patients the remnants of the medicines already taken in the past. We have several excellent lectures in the hall during the week and services on the Sabbath. The hall is so situated that all can attend. No change or addition of dress required, more than to go from one room to another if one is not able to walk he is carried if he chooses to be and if one does not wish to sit up he lies down and listens so there is no getting weary no exhaustion no getting overtired one gets all the good without the bad the tables are excellent and most abundantly supplied meats plainly but well cooked the freshest of vegetables from their own gardens and such abundance of fruit as i never saw all in its turn we have passed through the era of strawberries and cherries and currants and are now in the raspberries white red and black i believe the blackberries follow next and so on to the peaches pears and apples of autumn but the astonishing thing after their freshness and perfection is their abundance. They are not served to us in saucers or on individual plates, but placed in large fruit dishes once in about three feet through all the scores of tables, 
each one to help himself over and over, the dishes being refilled to the last, and we are leaving the tables filled as we find them. The fruit is mainly picked from the gardens that day for dinner, or the evening before for breakfast, from two hundred to four hundred quarts for a meal. Besides this, we have always the greatest abundance of shaker-dried fruits cooked for those who cannot take the fresh. New milk, from their own dairy, they have forty or fifty cows, all one can use at every meal. The freshest of oatmeals and grams, sweet butter, tapioca, etc. The vegetables are largely cooked in milk and harmless. With all these fruits and vegetables, there is no summer complaint here. I have not heard of a case, and among all these invalid people, not a person in bed, except a few rheumatics who were brought here in beds and are not up yet. No fevers, no colics, but all out and about in the sunshine and on the hillsides, stretchers and hammocks under the trees. One has only to be lazy and jolly and get well if they can. There are a good many very pretty cottages outside the main institute where persons room, but all meet in the same dining hall and in the same parlor for prayers and singing after breakfast and the distribution of the mail after dinner. I am in the institute or main building the views from the verandas are as fine as many i have heard extolled in foreign countries a single glance takes in a stretch of the valley of over ten miles in length as handsome as a landscape garden we are so high above the town that we seldom walk but there are always livery teams waiting orders at the door one drives or is driven as the choice may be dr jackson has a stable of about twelve horses for his and family uses and the work they are handsome enough for a fair and i occasionally find that they are good roadsters the village below us is pretty and thriving miss atwater lives in the village about a mile from me but comes to lectures she is well and seems very happy. I have ridden down to see her a few times. Her uncle is still with her. He had worked hard in his hotels for a great many years, been broken of his rest a great deal, and was considerably worn down, and seems to be glad of an opportunity to rest a little outside of a hot city. It makes it pleasant for Fanny till she gets more acquainted but the people are very kind and social here. There is no stiffness. There are something like fifty people employed as help to do the work of this home, but not one servant. The word nor position is not known here. All are treated equally, all ladylike and gentlemanly, all treated alike. There is an amusement society, and one of its features is a beautiful dance once a week from 5 till 8 p.m. Piano and violin music, no round dances, but cotillions and all dances which are not injurious, 
and the prettiest and most elegant dancers in the hall are from among the help. There is a regularly organized fire company on the grounds, and the houses are watched and patrolled all night like a first-class manufactory. No doors are ever locked. All stand open, if not too cold. I have never turned a key in the house. Now, I believe I have told you all the most important features of the place I have come to, but I have been very careful not to overdraw it, for I hope some of your journeys may sometime bring you to take a look at it for yourself, and I would not like you to be disappointed. I hope this severely hot weather has not been too much for you and that sometime you will find time to drop a line to your affectionate cousin Clara. I neglected to say that I find a good many old friends here. Our chaplain was a member of the Sanitary Commission in Washington, and the Reverend Dr. Abbott, who was here with his family, was president of the Christian Commission. Love to any who may inquire. Clinton Hotel, Rochester, Sunday, 1876. Dearest Mamie, Does the date take you by surprise? Don't be alarmed. It's all right. I am only on a visit of a few days. Dr. Jackson, Miss Austin, and several other lady friends made a party and came last Friday to stay several days in Rochester, and enjoy the change and rest and here we are having a glorious time all but i can go to operas church lectures galleries etc etc and i can stay by and keep guard and direct the servants how to order the rooms to have all ready and jolly for them when they get back mrs jones principal of the Dansville Seminary, and a Miss Reynolds, who is Thurza Ann, in a Betsy Bobbitt club we have here, and a capital dramatist, are my room companions in the hotel. There is no lack of fun with two such fertile brains about. We go home next Tuesday. Now that I am through with myself, let me turn to you, and say how glad I am that you have been to the centennial and enjoyed it so well, made so much of it, and got home so well. What a beautiful gift that was from Mr. and Mrs. Shrubler to you, that trip, a hundredfold more than the beautiful dress which was a thing to be most grateful for, but it will wear out in time while nothing short of eternity can take you from the knowledge and benefits of that exhibition. It is a thing for a lifetime, not only its pleasure, but its profits. Please thank them both for me, for this thoughtful courtesy to you, and for the good dress also, and indeed for all their kindnesses to my little girl, who I know is grateful for herself, but I am also grateful for her. Now, you see I have not your letter here, and cannot answer it as I ought, for I really do not recollect the questions it asks, neither do I recollect when I wrote you last, or what I told you then, so this letter is liable to be a repetition, 
or an omission, but you will forgive this in either of the circumstances. I had a good letter from Ida just an hour before I started from Dansville, and have answered it from there. She is a very easy, natural correspondent, and would make a fine writer in some special directions if she could be cultivated. She sends me an advertisement of your Papa D's farm. I was a little surprised at this, but it shows him in earnest in his assertion that he would like to be rid of it, and I do not wonder that he feels it a burden. It is more so than if it were larger and would afford more and efficient help and pay for outlays. I consider it one of the most laborious sizes that a farm can have if one intends to use it as a farm, and if not, then it is too large. Four acres of nice buildings would really be worth more in the way of comfort, and these buildings have got to an age which will call for constant repairs, and the house is never convenient nor built for a farmhouse. In fact, it was not intended for a farm by Grandpa, and there was no farm till your father made it so by his cultivation, for it was wasteland. Did I tell you that the tailors had sailed for England? They must be there now. How sweet and beautiful they were when here, and how in the two or three little days they spent here they made themselves felt and beloved. Mrs. Taylor is really one of the sweetest women I have ever known. Fanny is at the Centennial, and I have just one line from her. She's almost frantic from the confusion. You know her head gets troubled easily, and she had not got it rested from the journey and the first days of the great show. She will remain long enough to find herself and look clearly and see what she went for to see, I trust. I am glad you have heard from Etta, and glad they are getting on so well. Please give a great deal of love to dear Anna, and congratulate her on her centennial trip, which I trust she enjoyed to its fullest, and thank Mr. Shrubler for his good gift to my dear old brother. I know it has made a warm spot in his heart for all the time he will live to wear it and with his poor health and tendency to melancholy his joys are not too many mr shrubler has given him a great many pleasures and i thank him most earnestly for them all my kitty is charming she knows almost as much as folks and has just taken to mousing she often carries in two and three and sometimes four and five bits of game a day, and all the family have to recognize each one before she will be at all quiet. She is too comical, standing at the door with her nice white face and her mouth full of mouse and grass, calling all the household out to see her. Yours lovingly, Clara. Miss Barton's views on health, on politics, on society, on idle women, and incidentally, perhaps, her best description of herself, her tastes and habits, 
is contained in a letter of this period to a learned german professor who knowing of her life in germany wrote to her and proposed to visit her it is interesting to note that in this letter she speaks of her hair as having been dark brown and changed in a few months of illness to a silvery gray it did not remain gray but with the return of health resumed its color of brown though not so dark as before dansville livingston county new york april seventeenth eighteen seventy seven esteemed and dear friend i beg you not to be alarmed even if you were correct in your conjecture that illness caused my silence it is very true but i am so far recovered now that although not released from my bed i have taken up my pen again and yesterday before receiving your card had laid out your last letter as one of the first to be answered i might or i might not have reached it to-day in regular order but now i place it first and commence my morning roll-call with professor thed Pfaw, and a long narrow blue-tinted envelope responds half wearily half impatiently here so here we have it first having admitted illness which i never do if possible to avoid i must settle your apprehensiveness it is no new play or act or scene simply a calling before the curtain for repetition i have in these exhausted days only a given amount of strength and if by any accident or oversight i overdraw on my accounts i am at once bankrupt and can carry on business no further having been in former days accustomed to draw from an unlimited and ever recruiting stock of strength and health i find it a difficult problem to solve how to bring myself down to the necessary economies of my present condition i cannot realize that a few hours a few rods a few steps even a little overwork at my desk the quiet arranging of a simple room a little overrun of company may use up all my little capital and i must wait and compromise with my creditors start business anew on a smaller scale and work my way up again to the lost point probably only to lose it again a month or six weeks ago i committed some one of these extravagances and immediately comes a notice from my physical banker shutting off my supply of sleep he had been allowing me nearly seven hours in the four-and-twenty but he cut it down to three two one a few minutes none at all and so left me for several days and nights then let it come back in a similar ratio up to oh well no matter how much but not seven hours no nor for a long time to come but i can get up and walk about my room and sit part of the day and i write because it is better for me to write chatty letters with no thought in them than to relapse into solid thinking as i would in doing nothing 
one sometimes needs to be saved from himself. I do not know if I have ever told you of my illness or what holds me so weak. It is what is known as prostration of the nervous system, and very complete at that, I suppose. I am not aware of any decided organic disease, only as all the organs are affected by this great letting down of nerve power and force. Of the class of disease generally denominated female weaknesses, I know nothing experimentally. Of the lame backs and aching lower spine that the majority of feeble women suffer torture from, I am ignorant, and can sympathize with them only through observation. But of the hot, sore spot on the spine, high up between the shoulders, leading up to the base of the brain, bursting into flame at every overtaxation of mental energy, I know all. It is the same thing that overworked public men sink under, in sudden deaths, softening of the brain, paralysis, or something analogous to these. This is the illness that has become my master, and will one day prove my conqueror. There is no looking forward to restored health, soundness, and security. The price of not only my liberty, but my life is eternal vigilance. Now a truce to illness, to which, thank God, you are a comparative stranger, and I pray him you always may be. I have received Puck since his advent into this warring world, and he is growing to be a fine little fellow, stout and healthy, a jolly little elf, isn't he? His wit will get him some clips over the nose by and by, when it begins to be felt, but this he does not care for, for he means to bite. I laughed heartily at his satire on Stanley two weeks ago, and yet Stanley is a valued friend, and I have fought terrible battles for him on both continents, but the imitation is excellent and full of ingenuity. The cuts are, of course, inimitable. Mr. Kepler's pencil has a master touch, and I wish him long life, abundant success, full pockets, and artistic fame. The spring is opening well here, we have had a succession of charming days, followed now by a rain which is bringing up the green grass and swelling the buds almost to bursting, but we have no leaves yet. Some wild trees which precede their leaf life by their flowers are out in spring dress. A kind of wood's willow which bedecks itself in deep yellow is very gaudy just now. The peach trees are pushing out their little soft gray pussy toes all over their red branches, and the horse chestnuts, with their blunt ends tipped with swollen round buds, look as if they had doubled up their fists for fighting, and said to all their more tapering, slender neighbors, Come on, we are ready. We are yet a month too early for the first roses. Perhaps I told you that I removed to a snug brick city-built house for the winter. I have changed it this spring, 
for a much older and country-like wood-house, which has some trees, grass, and shade, a garden, and perhaps some flowers if the sunshine brings them up. I am, of course, all too unpretending and simple in my life to have a gardener, so shall lack the beauties which such assistance would develop. I was once a very tolerable gardener myself among flowers, but I have no longer strength to spend on the strong lap of Mother Earth, much as I love her and her dear little nurslings of cowslip and violets, but good sturdy old dame, she does a great deal without help, and knows very well how to dress herself without the aid of a fille de chambre but here i am on this fourth large page and not even yet noted the contents of your letter the photograph i am sorry that you withheld it i should have been very glad to receive it if you would entrust it to me and i still hope you will decide to do so i should prize it but i cannot say when i should be able to return the favor I have no photographs, either good or bad. I am never able to go to a gallery to sit for one. The last time was in Paris. All I ever had have been picked away long ago. I am the debtor of all my friends for pictures, some of them several times over, but they know how it is, and I hope excuse me. If I should ever again be in condition to sit, and can get a result that my friends will accept, I will take them by the hundred and relieve myself from embarrassment. But you should know that as a picture my photograph is not at all to be coveted. If natural, it must be uncomely. I was never what the world calls even good-looking leaving out of the case all such terms as handsome and pretty. My features were strong and square, cheekbones high, mouth large, complexion dark. My best feature was perhaps a luxuriant growth of glossy dark hair shading to blackness, but that is comparatively thin now and silver-gray, all within the last three years it changed from its original blackness to its present shade in the first six weeks of this present illness in eighteen seventy four i never cared for dress and have no accomplishments so you will find me plain and prosy both in representation and reality if ever you should chance to meet either i beg you to believe this and to remember it to avoid any disappointment which might possibly occur not that i think it could change the friendship of a sensible person but i like people and especially my friends to know me as i am and not hold a false estimate of me of poor miss r lorraine raymond i never hear a word it is charitable to attribute her silence to want of scholarship but i am inclined to disbelieve the verity of this i believe her to be a very fair scholar and an average to say the least of it correspondent but she seldom writes i know she wrote me a few letters from europe years ago none of late years 
She has a kind heart, and I am so, so sorry for her. I hope the trial of your brother will not result disastrously to him. Perhaps one cannot easily control a dislike, but he has certainly chosen a most powerful foe, and the odds seem unequal. I agree with you in more than word when you declare the imperial family of Germany to be a respectable one. It is all of that, nothing in Europe stands before it, and those of it whom I have known personally are of the highest excellence and purest worth. I am sure the more intimately they are known, the better they must be beloved. The Grand Duchess of Baden is to me the loveliest woman on the earth, in this term i mean to combine all qualities of both mind and body both nature and culture have made her a princess and i cannot see why she is not as good a republican as if she had been born a peasant or a swiss or american citizen in no position would she knowingly do a wrong or commit an act of tyranny to the lowest human being, whether subject or not. Tired of republics, you say? Perhaps if you study your own meaning closely, you will find that you are rather tired of politics than republics. And, my esteemed and valued friend, let me in all childlike simplicity suggest what does not perhaps clearly appear to you— viz that the standpoint one occupies the surroundings one has the outlook one takes have a great deal to do in forming the opinion and swaying the judgment i am sorry that you must perforce see our country its political moral and social sides through the slum and mire and haze of a lens like new york city out on our millions of acres of hills, valleys, and plains is a better, purer, nobler population, the force of whose earnestness and honesty will save our nation long ages after the pollution of its cities would have turned it into a Sodom and Gomorrah. There is a true, steady, honest pulse beating in the veins of the yeomanry of this land that never throbbed a second in a city like new york and never will but when the trial comes it is the pulse that will tell tweed and his ring didn't go to the farmers sweating in their hayfields with their bargains they went to the politicians and burrowed in the cities and made their nests like the bats and owls under the eaves of churches and in halls and steeples they can plan and connive and twiddle and fiddle with the lines a long time while the farmers work in their fields but when real danger appears when the load topples and is likely to upset stouter hearts than theirs will come to the front stronger hands than theirs will take the reins and bring out the load in safety we are not so near destruction as it would seem from your standpoint and because a few poor vain foolish women 
with little money and less brains and shriveled hearts have betaken themselves to the boarding-houses of new york city and are living false empty silly idle lives for show it does not make it that this is the character or life of all the women of america nor that well-regulated home life is not the rule of the country for it is and i who am a part of it and have lived it and over and among it all my lifetime know it well shall we judge france and its whole people by the courtesans of paris or germany by berlin oh my friend and brother do i beseech of you get another standpoint and a wider outlook and a clearer purer atmosphere than new york city with its flood tide of immigration before you judge in final judgment the whole population male and female of this great country i thank you very much for the hope expressed that we may meet in paris in seventy eight but there is small prospect of this i shall scarcely cross the ocean again i have much to do to save my strength with no unnecessary waste but the hope expressed that we may meet before that time is something nearer home and more within the range of possibilities i should never dare by any means to invite you to visit me and i never go to your part of the country so the prospect of our meeting is small perhaps i ought to explain the above remark having very incautiously made it and i will i am a so much more simple person in my mode of life than you have probably ever seen except those whom poverty compelled to simplicity that you would not feel happy or homelike in my house i am simple in my tastes and plain avoiding luxuries from choice and principle both about my house and in its dress and my table and its furnishings my living is simple as a hermit's heavy meats and wines teas and coffees are unknown at my table my rooms plain i have only my housekeeper no retinue of servants at all no show no ornaments no excuses but with all this there is great peace and quiet no worry no fret no fears of what the world will think or say no pressure in any direction abundant supplies for all necessities no scandal either spoken or listened to no backbiting and no skeleton in the closet not even the shadow of one now all this simplicity and plainness and the absence of excitement and luxurious surroundings and living must be so different from all that you are accustomed to that you could not be happy or even comfortable among it so i should never dare invite you to visit me even if you were journeying near me and so when you see that i do not you will understand the true reason and assign the right motive on my part and not feel piqued or slighted or that i am cold or eccentric or reserved or in any way unaccountable or any other thing 
but just what I am, a plain woman with enough of common sense to perceive that our modes of life are so different that you could not enjoy visiting me, and fearless candor enough to tell you so. Your sincere friend, Clara Barton. How Clara Barton was regarded at Dansville is shown in many ways, as in the following cutting from the Dansville Advertiser of June seventh, 1877, giving account of an exercise on the previous Memorial Day. Ovation to Miss Clara Barton Toward noon on Memorial Day, the bustle of preparation to go downtown to the procession and oration seemed to arouse a new impulse of gratitude to the soldier's friend, Miss Clara Barton, which spread rapidly through our home and soon organized itself in a program of proceedings for the evening when she should have rested a little from the fatigue of her participation in the public celebration. By six o'clock, a goodly number of men and women and children had gathered in Brightside and on the surrounding lawn. Soon this company, consisting of doctors and other officials, the stronger patients and helpers from the cure, a few nearby neighbors, and the inmates of Brightside, were marshalled two by two on the walk before the gate. Of the hundred nosegays which the girls had hastily tied up and heaped upon a server, none were left when each person had taken one, and these, with numerous flags afloating, made the procession gay as it moved on, led by the clergy. The canisius brass band, taking tea at the seminary, had patriotically agreed to add to the dignity of the enterprise by their numbers and their music. Meanwhile, one of the company had casually, apparently, in a neighborly way dropped into Miss Barton's parlor, and lured her on to the front piazza in time to witness the approach as the Allies joined their forces. Being entirely taken by surprise, she could only exclaim to her attendant, What does it all mean? What shall I do? when she saw the battalion bearing down, rather up, on her castle. Evidently she was completely subjugated without a gun being fired, and looked helplessly and speechlessly around on the lines of exultant faces which, filing right and left, had environed the piazza in a semicircle. It still required some gentle force, however, to seat her on the chair in readiness for her. At this juncture, Miss Austin, stepping forward, said, Miss Barton, after joining our sympathies with our fellow citizens at large in paying a tribute of respect and gratitude to the brave men who sought and suffered and died for their country's salvation the inmates of our home come with gladness to greet a living woman one who worked and suffered and gave her strength and health in alleviating the pains and sorrows the homesickness and heartsickness of our soldiers and we are thankful that your mission was not alone to our soldiers 
but that you represented a vastly broader and nobler sentiment than mere patriotism that you were actuated by that grand humanity which forbade you even in war times to know any north or any south but that every man to whom you could in any way minister was your brother we rejoice in this because you then represented the self-same spirit which must yet bridge over the chasm that has hitherto divided the two sections and make us one united brotherhood a happy and prosperous country but dear miss barton your life and labors have carried you beyond our country and through you we hold fraternal bonds to the whole world in foreign countries and in a foreign war you spent your sympathies and your efforts not on the germans nor on the french nor on any nationality but everywhere every man every woman every little child who needed help or loving succor received these from you in the full measure of your capacity to bestow we come then to lay our honors at your feet as a citizen of the world as a friend to humanity as a lover of your race recognizing the work which you have done as a foreshadowing of that time when men shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks when nations shall not lift up sword against nations neither shall they learn war any more miss austin then introduced rev miss anna oliver of passaic new jersey who said the feeling of enthusiastic admiration with which I have long regarded one whose course has reflected honor upon her country, upon womanhood and humanity, prevent me from making a set speech on this occasion. Several years ago I had the pleasure, Miss Barton, I may say the sad pleasure, of visiting Andersonville Prison, and the cemetery laid out under your supervision placing a flower on each of those several thousand graves during that visit through the south i frequently heard the name of miss barton mentioned with gratitude and love both by those who had served in the confederate and in the union armies war is terrible and we all know of course that no such thing as a necessary war ever occurred. But as long as wars are actualities, how blessed is the thought that the barbarities of past ages may be superseded by the gentle Christian ministrations, a representative of which we delight to honor today. We mourn the fratricidal strife that digs each soldier's grave. We strew the flowers on the sod in honor of the brave. But most of all we reverence those who seek man's life to save. They marched on the advancing foe, they nobly fought and fell. But there were those attending near, mid shower of shot and shell. As brave in a diviner cause, who did their part as well. 
Today we pay our tribute of respect to the names of Florence Nightingale and Clara Barton. Dr. Jackson, then, being called by Miss Barton to her aid, thanked her friends in her behalf, and happily expressed what he imagined might be her feelings on the occasion. When he had finished, the star-spangled banner was sung by the choir. Miss Barton now spoke briefly and feelingly of the honor done her, and the happy memory to be cherished. Sometimes she might express herself better. The most she could do now was simply to offer these friends a hand-grasp. Then each person laid down his offering of flowers till her lap was piled high and her feet were buried deep in a pink-and-white mound, each as he passed claiming the promised handshake. While this was going on, the band played an inspiring air, and the people of the hillside retired with the pleasant consciousness of having enjoyed a happy half-hour. Afterward, Miss Barton had a personal introduction to each member of the band, who had so kindly assisted in paying honor to one enjoying the reverence and affection of the American people as of all classes, from the lowest peasantry to the crowned heads in Europe. End of chapter 5, part 2